Hi everyone, and welcome to Play Crush. It's Joe Murphy here. Well, we have a really great episode for you this week. The superstar writer for stage and screen, Nick Payne, joined us today. Nick is undoubtedly one of my absolute favourite writers ever, and his work always manages to combine intellectual stimulation with a visceral gut punch. I was lucky enough to direct Nick's play Incognito back in 2014, and I can't overstate the profound impact it had on me as a director and as a person. The play features four actors playing 25 parts in multiple locations and timelines, all done with no set changes and no costume changes. It was a huge challenge, but combined all of Nick's greatest assets as a writer, the combination of science and humanity, of form and content, of head and heart, and of course his great ability to offer a fun night out that is really about something. The great Terry Pratchett once wrote that humanity is where the falling angel meets the rising ape. For me, that describes Nick's writing exactly. Nick has an astonishing CV for one so young, and has often been described as our generation's Tom Stoppard. While I certainly agree with this statement, I also think he is much more than that, and a great writer in his own right. His work for stage includes the smash hit Constellations that began at the Royal Court before transferring to the West End and Broadway. If there is, I haven't found it yet, at the Bush, Wanderlust at the Royal Court, The Same Deep Water as Me at the Donmar Warehouse, Incognito for Nabokov and High Tide in the Bush before a New York production, Elegy at the Donmar Warehouse, and A Life at the Public Theatre in New York starring Jake Gyllenhaal. So, you know, just a few small plays. For screen, he wrote the film adaptation of Sense of an Ending and, of course, his heartbreaking, bittersweet TV series Wanderlust for the BBC and Netflix. Nick is also one of the funniest, smartest and most unassuming people I've ever met, which makes talking to him a complete joy. Nick's play crush was This Wide Night by Chloe Moss. This Wide Night is a tender portrayal of two women trying to start again. On her release from prison, Lorraine heads straight to Marie's. On the inside, they used to share everything. But the friendship that once protected them now threatens to smother the fragile freedom they have found. This raw, exquisite two-hander was first produced by Clean Break in July 2008 at Soho Theatre and toured to Newcastle, Plymouth and women's prisons nationwide. It won the Susan Smith Blackburn Prize in 2009. The play was born out of Chloe Moss's intensive research and playwriting residency in Her Majesty's Prison, Cookham Wood. Chloe has this to say about the play in her introduction to the text. This Wide Night explores the importance and uniqueness of relationships formed in prison, how they can or perhaps cannot exist in another context, and also resettlement, when freedom can actually feel like a very bleak and frightening prospect. Lorraine and Marie are inspired by the women that I was fortunate enough to meet and spend time with at Cookham Wood in the summer of 2006. This play is dedicated to them, Sue, Vicky, Claire, Esther, Susan and Alicia. It's a really beautiful play that looks at society's failure to reintegrate those it has previously condemned. Chloe does this through the specific lens of people coming out of prison, but could really be about any group that society has decided are other and therefore treated as hostile. Just before we get started with Nick, I want to say another huge thank you to everyone listening to this podcast and supporting Sherman Theatre and the Old Vic. I know these are incredibly difficult and uncertain times, and your generosity is incredibly moving. Thank you again. So, without further ado, here is Nick Payne and This Wide Night. Hello, everybody. Um, so here we are uh, back in the highly uh, technically equipped Playcross studio or the spare bedroom, uh, as it's previously been called. Um, and we're here today with the amazing Nick Payne. Hello, Nick. Hi, how you doing? Very good, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad. And and where are you sat right now? Are you, are you in a spare room or, or, or more professional surroundings? No, I'm in my bedroom and... <laughs> I've been working at my wife's dressing table, so that is where <laughs> I'm sat now. It's quite small, but it's perfectly formed <laughs> by a window. Uh, okay, yeah. so you're getting, some, you're getting some daylight in. Getting, yeah, I guess some vitamin natural D. light. Yeah. yeah, where are you? Well, being a fair-skinned redhead, I'm also sat very next to a window, but I'm in this constant battle between yeah. wanting to get some sun um, and burning horribly. Um, yeah. So... 
it's either first thing in the in the morning or like the twilight hours i, c- I yeah. can sit in the sun by the window uh, and um I, I mean i got i got burnt in the shade the other day and that's not a joke that's serious and what about do you not go out then yeah but again obviously within, some... within the just a stress within the uh, guidelines but we can now <laughs> yeah. unlimited can't we yeah yes yeah no yeah i'm getting out i'm getting out a bit i mean how, how have you found it how have you found i mean what are we on week eight week nine something like that now yeah it's how, how's long. it been for you <clears throat> how what am i how's it been how how's right. that how's those weeks been um... Well, the like slightly serious version in that, like practically and so on, we're absolutely fine. No illness. Um, uh, the first two weeks were a bit tricky. The, the very first two, our daughter, who's two and a half, I think struggled to un- obviously understand what the fuck was going on. And so it was quite difficult to explain it. And she was quite angry for a while, but I've kept working and I'm, I'm you know, yeah, I, I work every day still, obviously, except at weekends. Um, Brilliant. Oh, so, so you got shaped your day still then, you know, you're, and you're still yeah. going to write. Yeah, me and my wife, we sort of try and alternate, roughly speaking. So sh- we do like half days, if you if you see what I mean. Well, of course you see yeah. what I mean. It's half a day. What <laughs> 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 a confusing reference. Yeah. I was down. like, what does he mean, a half yeah. a day? What could that possibly mean? Half day, Joe. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we you know, half writing and then half childcare. Um, and yeah, it's okay. It's it's not too bad. And how's that working with writing? Because I assume at the moment, um, it, you know, the whole industry is on pause uh, in terms of production. Mm-hmm. Um, but have you found then that um, people people are still wanting scripts or still wanting to figure out what that content is going to be when this is all over? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit weird. It does occasionally, for fear of sounding too glib, feel a bit like you're pissing in the wind because you're working away and you're still trying to hit deadlines, but obviously you know that literally nothing can happen. So it, <laughs> it, it, like, if you let that thought in too often, it does feel a bit stupid, but yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm mostly doing film and telly and that kind of, there's a universe where that will alas be up and running much quicker than theater. I mean, if not in some places it already is, you know, so um no and there's so there's still a desire to get work commission work green light work in a way where obviously i mean you'll know much more about this than me theater is having to sort of wrestle much more deeply with its kind of not its identity what's what do i mean like but how it even functions you know in in a very basic way whereas film and tv i don't think is having quite the same crisis although there are lots of obviously ways in which people are being affected yeah but i suppose in a way you can maybe social distances set or 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 slightly control that environment more whereas in theater of course trying to get an audience together at this point just is is impossible yeah and even Um, for fear of stating the obvious even if you can you know quite rightly and i'm sure people i hope they do and should get really tiny audiences and we think of lots of different incredibly great innovative completely different ways of getting audiences together there's a bit of me that wonders what on earth it's going to be like sitting in a fucking empty auditorium like i don't i don't really know what that experience how sort of cathartic to use the old-fashioned word it would it would be you know um which isn't to say it shouldn't be done i hope obviously people are already doing all sorts of things but like inside the industry a little bit you think about what the making of the work is going to be like but I also think as a punter as someone who likes going and sitting amongst total strangers I'm like oh well if that's not the experience anymore then what is the experience you know um whereas in a way in a cinema it you know it doesn't fucking matter whether there's in fact I love going to the cinema on my own but as in you know daytime and you're literally one of two or three people in the cinema is is great but an empty auditorium and i've been <laughs> in a few uh <laughs> are, are um are not as much fun sadly i just find it interesting that you've kept working like i think that's quite heartening to hear i think that writers are working that work is being commissioned that there there is a sense that there'll be content made after all of this that just feels really positive i think you know there's a really good question around being able to stop working as in 
forgive me, what I mean here is like in a sort of mental health context of being able to not work and be okay with that and sort of live with that. Um, if you have the luxury that is to be able to sort of stop working. Uh, but having said that, I, I think if I were not working at all for this long a period of time, I would find that really, really difficult. So even if I weren't writing things that had been commissioned or that I was trying to get commissioned, I would still be writing in some way, like the time and the headspace that is usually given over to writing. I don't, I don't think I could cope maybe for want of a better word day to day with its total absence from my day, if you see what I mean. So it, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, like I, I, I sort of have to do it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I mean, and that, you know, I suppose, um, you know, that, that in some ways is the vocation of a writer, isn't it? That impulse to mm. write, that need to do it. Mm. Um, and, and something about that, that feels um, quite pure, I suppose, in a way, uh, for want of a sort of less pretentious word. Um, but, but the idea that you're writing to write, it's not mm. about, you know, obviously you need to earn a living, you know, all of those things, of course yeah. you do. Um, but it, it's really interesting that underneath that for you personally is, is, a, is a need to do that for like who you are, not just for your job, as it were. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It, 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 it does make you think about why you do it or what the compulsion is to do it and in my case starting writing was not uh it wasn't financially motivated in that i had other jobs and i wrote because i wanted to from a kind of like hobbyist point of view um but no i i, I mean i feel for you know directors and lots of people obviously um let alone the the sort of huge gaping fear of unemployment and the economic implications for the individual and the buildings with all that stuff. But also just again, like sort of mentally or psychologically not being able to practice your craft or your profession for an extended period of time, I think is really hard. Um, really, really hard. And yeah, I'm fortunate in that I am able to do it just in the way that I guess a cook can still cook, you know, they're having to use less fancy ingredients maybe in their house and they're having to cook for kids instead of people <laughs> who are paying lots of money for their tasting menus, but they fundamentally they can organize their fridge and they can still cook. So the sort of muscle that you've built up, you're still able to use. Whereas, yeah, you know, I, I live near a couple of directors. Of course I know directors and bumping into them or talking to them obviously not literally bumping into them let me stress <laughs> um you're like yeah some of them have just anyway i'm just saying things you know but you know have had like a year's worth of jobs just go and that is that is something that yeah fortunately at the moment in my tiny role like has has not happened to me you know what i mean i can still yeah, write definitely. for fun and there's a universe where my professional writing has has and will still continue and what i mean i'm quite interested in that you're saying you started out in the hobbyist form uh, uh, earning your money from somewhere else and then uh, uh and then writing because you wanted to write and and obviously now very successful writer and earning a living from that and was that transition difficult is there a difference between doing it as a hobby and doing it as a profession are there any kind of moments where that's come into quite sharp relief for you that diff the feeling and uh, and how those two impulses are different yeah well so i used to of course the link in all this is i used to usher at the old vic so i did that for years um and i also worked in bars and i worked in cinemas and i worked at the bookshop at the national um and yeah, so I did those kind of jobs for about four or five years, maybe slightly less, maybe slightly more. I can't quite remember now. And then I, I even when I started getting plays professionally produced, I, I had about three years where I was getting plays professionally produced, but uh, there was absolutely no way you could earn a living off those plays. I mean, if you've got one play on a year, you know what I mean? That's not paying your rent. So I would, I continue to do all these other jobs. And then really the, the, the play that, a sort of gave me an opportunity at a career and B 
that gave me enough money to have an opportunity at a career was a player wrote called Constellations. And that had a long life um, in that it had a run upstairs and then it went to West End and it transferred. But crucially, this whole world opened up sort of literally and figuratively where you get productions done elsewhere in the world. I mean, I had no idea that that, which sounds so stupid of me now, but I had no idea that kind of existed as a opportunity. Um, so you get, you know, royalties randomly from productions in parts of the world. I've not, not only have I never been to, but I'll never see those productions. And so it means that the one play you write, you know, might sustain you for a year or two because you're able to continue earning money from it. Whereas really roughly speaking with a new play if you have a one-off four or five week run I don't I don't know you know you don't you don't really get enough money off that you'd have to do I don't know what now I mean and living in London as well I mean like what six or seven of those a year or something to just um but the crucial difference is yeah now that I write professionally um and you have to earn money from it you know uh yeah you take jobs that you um <laughs> what's the right word that you know you're taking a job to earn some fucking money that's what i mean you you know it's not whereas i i guess it gets sort of naively for years i did nothing except write plays and do other jobs and so the pressure on the writing was only ever creative it was never financial I, you know i was lucky to be able to figure out a way yeah, I didn't have to earn money from the plays. Now that is not the case. And frankly, the plays don't earn me any money at all. So that's why I do film and TV. Um, yeah. It feels like, again, as you pointed out, there was there was a before Constellations and an after Constellations. Does, does, mm, that, yeah. does that feel truthful in your sort of development as, as, a, as a writer? Well, it's funny, isn't it? That's definitely the narrative that uh, exists a bit. I mean, you know, it's no surprise that if I go for a what they call I don't know if it's affectionate or not a general meeting the thing that often comes up is constellations and occasionally I think you know what it wouldn't fucking hurt you to read one of my other plays (laughs) (laughs) I also like I get it of course like uh that's the one people heard about or saw or whatever um well I mean when it is a smash hit of the Royal Court uh a smash hit in the West End uh a mo- massive movie star does it, you know, on Broadway. I suppose it, it's oh, yeah. not sort of surprising, is it, that um, it's the go-to one? Because I think also uh, the thing that blew people away about the play, I, I mean, there are loads of things, but I think it was the way that it felt both uh, sophisticated and niche and really popular and accessible. And that is rare, I think. It is an easy go-to with you because it's, you know, a standout smash mega hit. Um, but also <laughs> I think... I, I think it's a really good calling card for you as a writer. I think it displays right. that you're about the head and the right. heart. You know what I mean? And it, I, I find it interesting because I find your screen work amazing. Um, like you did the TV series Wanderlust, which blew me wow. away. Uh, you know, from the outside, it's a glittering career of success to success to success. So, uh, wow. and obviously incredibly hard work within that. But therefore, it's really interesting to hear that on the inside, you're wrestling. Um and at a point where you're still trying to find your voice in a way where I think a lot of people would assume you found it and are known for it. Oh, wow. Interesting. You, you need a level of confidence to do the job. I think that you either have to create or fake or develop somehow because to sit down and to start something and to think, I think this is worth either Hundreds of people sitting in a theatre. Well, probably not hundreds. A hundred <laughs> people sitting in a theatre. <laughs> Let's not oversell it. Um, or um, millions and millions of people and hun- hundreds of people being employed to make it. You know, you somewhere in you, I, I'm not necessarily saying consciously, but I think it takes a tremendous will to do that. Um, and I don't entirely have it. So the problem I have is that you're, you know, it's like you need a level of confidence and assurance, no, or like certainty or something in what you're doing. And yet at every step of it, you have to be completely open to changing it. You have to be completely humble and you have to exercise humility because if you don't, as I guess I was sort of trying to wrestle with earlier, I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. Then I'm just forcing everyone to follow my will, which... 
I don't enjoy and I, I imagine no one else enjoys. I suppose, yeah, I just suppose it, it, it's quite moving um, to hear that that struggle goes on. You know what I mean? That there isn't a sense as a writer of completion that each project, you know, costs, mm, wow. again, it costs something yeah. in you, it costs something to say it. And, yeah. you know, I know that, that grief is a huge part of your work. Um, yeah. yeah. And sort of yeah. almost, I would say, runs through everything, if yeah. not obviously, um, yeah. uh, th- then slightly deeper down. And it, and it feels like, as you say, although it's not autobiographical, therein lies um, yeah. the, 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 like, exposed bit for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the painful bit for you. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I, I think I spent a long time not wanting to acknowledge it. And then a bit more recently, slightly because I was forced to, I was like, yeah, it's very true. Basically, everything I write is wrestling in some way with my own grief. Um, and that is raw. And it's weird to think that it is. But it you, you realise it is. And I'm not saying that anyone I work with, therefore, needs to treat me. I don't know. I don't need some kind of special treatment, but I just have had to try and figure out how I can feel excited and creative and for fear of using a silly word like safe to make work, to to take a risk with a piece of work. Um, I've just had to wrestle with how you do that and feel... Um, not like a piece of shit when it doesn't work out. Yeah, because no, it 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 matters, and it's and it's God knows it's hard enough to get through a day anyway, an ordinary day, let alone a day where there's a pandemic or any of these terrible things going on. Um, but, but yeah, like when you're really in a pit of despair, it's like it's it's hard, it's hard, and 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 I think the the work in ways I do and don't understand carries that, you know, struggle or that despair or that grief with it. Sadly, probably at all times. And sometimes occasionally it's what makes a piece of work great, maybe, but other times it it might be what blocks you or stops you from making it any better. Um, So it's a, it's a funny old, it's a funny old thing. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just good to hear you talk so openly about that uh, uh, because I, I think it's not talked about a lot, you know, within the industry, within actors, writers, whoever, mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that there is a cost to this um, mm-hmm. and and that it's okay to acknowledge that and it's okay to talk about that honestly and openly um, uh, and uh, it, it's okay to need help and support with that um, as you go through that process because, you know, going right back to the beginning of our conversation, in, in terms of talking about the sort of cultural value of what you mm. do as a writer, mm. it's in that, isn't it? It's in your willingness to dig into that stuff, to expose mm. it with humour and with mm. uh, love, as well as with grief and with sadness, mm. um, and show someone trying to wrestle and process with that and therefore mm. lets us know as audience, we're not alone. Other people are going through that. Mm. Um, and when And when that, time comes for me i can draw upon all of that culture and uh, that that stuff i've watched and experienced to sort of help me through it i think that's the you know i mean for one of getting a bit serious that to mm-hmm. me feels like as much as escapism comedy musicals which i think also have a huge value the other side of it is like it, it genuinely helps us like get through the day mm-hmm. um and and it can only do that if there's someone like you willing to expose that part of themselves and willing to put that part of themselves in the public eye so i think it's not unusual that like mm-hmm. that cost mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that that can hurt i think that um, yeah i mean i think there is a like you know i think i you know there are some writers who are really good at articulating almost thematically what their work is about or what they're pursuing and although I'm going to contradict myself here because I just said it's always about grief, but um, I guess that's true. So maybe that's what I was about to say. Well, but that's an emotion rather than thematic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, sense. very good, very good. So, uh, yeah, right. So I, I don't know how to... I feel like the thing that is interesting, I don't mean in my stuff, I mean in life, is the, the there's like something intangible about how the fuck you live and um, whether that's in my case from a place of relative privilege, like I, 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 I am not suggesting that I have any of the practical difficulties that lots of people have to deal with 
But I, of course, do have my own psychological difficulties that you have to wrestle with. And I think, I mean, look, we're going to talk about Chloe's play, which is, I, I, I mean, this feels like so on why pertinent or whatever to why I love it. It's like, I just think there's something profound about being met by something, either a piece of work or in the case of theatre, normally a person live that says like, I get it. It's really hard. And I find it really hard too. And this moment exists for us to acknowledge that, not in any maybe literal way, but to go and it's okay. We're not going to solve it. I don't have a fucking answer for you. Um, you know, and I think that is a, that is a, it's a, it's a responsibility in some ways. Um, yeah. You know, you've got a duty yeah. of care, I guess. Is that the right phrase? Like to your audience. Yeah. Which again, I, I'm not saying forces authors or writers or actors or or any of that to adopt the same tone or a particular style or whatever. But um, I think audiences feel when it's not when when the endeavor is insincere. Do you know what I mean? I think that's right, and I think that really cuts to your point earlier when you're talking about like um, the notes and this hypothetical audience. Um, uh-huh. and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you are talking about an audience, but it's the framework, isn't it? Of one is going, how do we control an audience and predict what they want and commercially satisfy it? But then what you're talking about is saying they're going to react how they're going to react. All we can do is like try and meet them with integrity and sensitivity and care and that we, we believe in the value and we've worked as hard as we can to present this thing to you. Um, and that, that that's what they'll appreciate, not an attempt to second guess their taste or what they might want or not want. Does, does, is that is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that makes I, I Yeah, I think I'm a bit like go for their soul. You know what I mean? It's like if they applaud, great. But if they don't, like you 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 might do something other to them. But if you yeah, as you say, if you purely pursue the applause or the literal sale of the ticket, I'm like, well, that's. It's not it's not an insincere interaction, but it's it's maybe not the kind of it's not the one I'm necessarily interested in figuring out. Um, And but I think if you can. Yeah, you know, if the endeavour is deeper than that and I don't know, maybe can accommodate that other stuff in some way. (laughs) I don't know. Um, that's right and and it feels like going for the soul I think is it should be the tagline of this episode Um, but it it (laughs) appears that like going for the soul is what you're still trying to figure out in TV and film like how do you actually go for those mechanisms Um, and talking about going for the soul I mean I think that's quite a good like link through to this wide night which really goes for the soul Uh, and and Chloe Moss the amazing writer certainly knows how to get to your soul um, in this extraordinary play that you've chosen and so much packed into two people and 60 pages yeah Um, uh, and it's it's essentially about um, a a woman in her 30s Marie um, who's been out of prison for a little while and started to rebuild her life Uh, and then her old Mm -hmm. cellmate Lorraine um, has literally just got out of prison and uh, sort of drops by. Um, and uh, what's really interesting there is, is we, that relationship from in prison to in what we would term freedom and how the relationship has held or hasn't held, what the two people need, what they don't need, um, sort of just unfolds itself in the most extraordinarily mm. at once naturalistic but also incredibly poetic mm sort of 60 pages um so i guess if that's like the plot of this wide night in a sort of very rough thing like for you like what is this a play about like that was great um well i i mean i think there's the sort of nerdy writer bit of me that that like deeply admires the compassion in the play um towards maybe two people or a sort of world that might not ordinarily be um, given that level of compassion. And I, 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 again, on the sort of nerdy end of the the spectrum is the fact that um, the research Chloe did, I can, I assume, so I should say, I don't know Chloe. I have no idea about this play, how it got made or any of that. I just love it. Um, 
where the research manifests in a way where it's it's not the author convincing you of a particular point, which again, I, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that's maybe not my taste. Um, the research is just fucking embedded in the play um, in a way which is about like giving it life rather than sort of giving it an idea or a point to make, if you see what I mean. And, and yeah. that, 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 that's I mean, really fucking skillful and it's done beautifully in the play. Um, and um, I mean, talking about that um, research, uh, what Chloe says is, uh, following my playwriting residency in Her Majesty's Prison, Cook and Wood, the challenge was not what, what to write about, but what not to write about. Over three months, I had enough material to write 50 different plays, each of which I could feel equally passionate about. Um, wow, where'd you get that? Bloody hell. <laughs> you know, I like to print, mate. Appropriately enough. I like the prep. Um, but, you know, so she really embedded, you know, yeah. and yeah. and wow. although, I th- as I understand it, this story isn't literally based on those people she met. It, it's sort of an amalgamation of all yeah. those women that she met um, in prison. And the play toured to prisons. Um, it was made by Clean Break, who obviously yeah. an extraordinary company uh, with an extraordinary ability to go into exactly, you say, alien and othered communities um, and give them voice. Um, and, and it feels like this play absolutely does that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just interesting to me that you picked up on the research without knowing it because that authenticity does just like radiate from this play, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, but I think also, like, I um, love the line for line. I mean, it's beautifully written. It's really funny. Um, as in, it has sort of bona fide gags, you know what I mean? And you're <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really up for a gag. And uh i think it well it, it, it's also the, the 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 tricky thing is like my primary memory is of seeing it rather than reading it if you see what i mean i did yeah. do my research a bit and i read it before this obviously but um it also has this like um this element that goes beyond all those things that sort of transcends that which is i just found it so fucking moving um and i don't quite know how I could put my finger on it, although I have like my favorite line or my favorite little passage in it. Um, it just did something to me that was, that's beyond me going, this bit of writing's great. That bit of writing's great. That performance was great. I love the design, which is true of all those elements. It, I, it just also sort of broke me in half. There's just an element in it that I couldn't tell you what it is. I guess it's Chloe. <laughs> so maybe I can tell you what it is. Um, that just like elevates that thing. Like there's a line towards the end where one of the characters, I think it's Marie. I hope maybe I've got, I'm probably going to get names and all sorts wrong here. So correct me. Marie you... is the 30 year old. The, the yeah, younger one of the two. Where she says, I think she says, I want my mum or I miss my mum. And that in and of itself is a line that um, might not be that original, but in the hands of, this particular author with this particular set of characters in that particular context and everything that the play builds up slowly about the sort of establishing and developing the kind of hinterland of these people when a line that in and of itself is not that original lands, it's completely heartbreaking because of everything, all the elements are like completely working. And, and so that moment, um, that, that's why you've chosen this play, is it? Uh, because it blew you away. It, it broke you down. And would you say it, it, that that experience you had was more than than the other plays you've seen? Why, why does that one stick out in your mind as a, as a moment? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I picked it for this re- relatively unthinkingly, as in, I mean, I didn't... You know what I mean? I didn't spend a long time staring at the bookshelves. I sort of tried to instinctively go, what's a play you'd love? You loved, rather. Loved and love. And that was probably about it. And I don't know why this one popped into my head pretty swiftly. Um, wow. So it must have just really left that mark on you. Yeah. I mean, there's another moment, which I, I'm going to... Oh, is this... I mean, it's probably a breach of copyright or something. <laughs> there's a bit where... I think again it might be Marie, and she describes how like there's one thing every day that breaks her, or something like that. Oh wow! And she describes an elderly woman in McDonald's with papery hands, 
and 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 honest to god i'm saying that from memory i and maybe i've got it wrong we should check like after shouldn't we to find out but i'm reasonably certain i have never forgotten that phrase papery hands because there's something so um like terrifyingly vivid about that description of an elderly woman's hands and there's something about that in mcdonald's which i it, like again I, I i don't even quite know how to articulate it but was like the saddest thing I could imagine, like the play made me imagine it so vividly that I completely understood why the character witnessing that in the course of her day couldn't cope. You know what I mean? There was something so rich and deep about the play that I saw that image um, that's uh, mentioned as a line in the play. But there's something about the play had got me to a point where my imagination was like so um enthralled or something or what's the word like with the play with the production with the people with the writing with the world that i was like i fucking get it that is a yeah i like and it's not it's funny isn't it because i don't mean it in a literal way i don't mean i've literally seen that myself and i was able to recall it but that's sort of the the skill of that play that it put me there outside McDonald's looking in, seeing this elderly woman and going like, oh, that just like is hard to take at this point in that day. Um, so it's the human it seems to be what, you, what you're responding to, not humanizing, but the, the actual like nitty gritty of human and a writer um, that can take you into that experience. Um, which is interesting because, you know, so many of your plays are sort of discussed as being like intellectual uh, or like, you know, whatever that means um, in terms of dealing with science. But, but it, it strikes me that you're, what you're actually interested in is just like, how do you get to the guts of something yeah. um, and guts of someone? Um, yeah. I think I've, I think I found the passage. Um, Come on. Yeah. Should, should we, should we, should we, should we try it? <laughs> Shall I read it out and we'll see? Yeah, see how yeah it do it. Yeah, rather you than um, me. Um, so, uh, yeah, Marie, she's, she's um, talking to Lorraine um, and she says, um, no, of course he didn't. I sat in the park with them. They made me laugh. I felt like a kid myself. I think most kids are right these days. You always hear stuff, but most of them are all right, I think. They were all right. There was this little one and he had his toes sticking out of his trainer. That fucking, that did me in that. He weren't wearing any socks. Most days, something happens. Something happens which just fucking breaks my heart. I can be feeling all right or fucking indifferent or whatever. And then I walk past McDonald's and there's an old woman on her own eating a hamburger and it'll just do me right in. Little papery hands like bird's feet. Most days, I just can't take one small thing in this fucking world. There you go. Yeah, I mean... Um, That is big, isn't it? That's a big bit of writing right there. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I mean, I just think it's that's profound you know it's a, it's like a kitchen sink two-hander you know you think you've seen that a million times mm-hmm. um and you think we think we know you know the ex-offender or whatever we think you know we, all of these things that we mm-hmm. we go into going oh this is a really safe space of a play and i'm pretty sure i'm going to know how this thing will turn out mm-hmm. um but then just elegantly and beautifully she takes this yeah. left turn yeah. And you just go, oh, this is a hundred percent not what I expected. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I've somehow ended up in waiting for Godot, and this is absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would love to ask Chloe what the influences are, or how she r- works. You know, whether she, because it feels like she might, she might write lots and lots to figure out who the characters are or get to know them. I don't know, and that aids her, her sort of deep understanding of them. Or it might, like, I suppose I mean, like, you know, you you kind of broadly, there's a couple of camps that playwrights or writers generally tend to fall into, and there's the kind of planners, you know what I mean? It's just so crude, but (laughs) always curious. And there are people who just write, who just start fucking writing, and they don't necessarily know where it's going, and it's really kind of instinctive. Um, And I'd be really curious to know with with Chloe's play, and plays in general, you know, how she, whether there was a kind of planning, you know, some writers do great biographies and some writers, their process is not unlike the process of an actor, but then equally you have some actors actually who really believe in the, 
the kind of accidental and the improvisatory and don't necessarily like to plan a great deal or don't necessarily like to um yeah break down their character or have a have a sort of biographical understanding of their character but like to turn up fucking try it out and see if it works um and i think writers loosely 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 speaking fall into those kind of two things where you're sort of which um which one do you fall into yeah i think i'm the slightly boring planner one so i like (laughs) i like a bit of research but it's not it's not academic you know i'm not i'm not it's not necessarily about fact checking although that is an important bit of it the sort of authenticity of a character's profession say or a character's medical condition like i think matters um but no i must admit i have never sat down and just started writing that just is not how i am able to do it and in fact when i've tried it's it's terrible and i feel very sort of self-conscious and don't really enjoy it yeah yeah interesting Mm. and going back to the play are there any other uh, moments in there are there any other lines or any other things that stick out for you or that you wanted to mention or talk about i think there's the like physical moment where they're again this is from memory so i I, um where they're they're a bit drunk i think i feel like it's maybe about two-thirds of the way through the play and they start sort of swinging each other around um (laughs) And then the slightly older character, Lorraine, she vomits. Um, and I think there's, again, there's, which I, I probably this feeds in to the moment, I hope I'm remembering this right, that comes later where Marie says, I, I miss my mum or I want my mum. It's like the play, it like very subtly, very delicately, like gives you the full spectrum of them as people. So you understand that obviously they're total grown-ups and yet there's this moment where they're sort of completely childlike and it's relatively innocent, I guess, and kind of naive. Um, and then she vomits, you know what I mean? And, and it's so vomiting, so like visceral. Um, and it's like a thing that is your body sort of forces you to do. I don't know. I, I, I just remember the like giddy delight of this child's play. It's just then it's suddenly undercut by one of them puking. And that, feels like what the play is wrestling with a bit like I'll play and puke it's like I don't know they they feel like oppositional and they sort of exist at the same time and it's you're you're thrilled and elated and then you come crashing back down the like they can't they can't be kids like they've got to be adults not I and I don't mean they actually have to be. I mean, the world sort of slightly forces that of them. But they've come from an environment where lots of things were stripped from them uh, figuratively, well, and, and literally, I guess, which is kind of childlike in in, in a very weird way. Or, or rather, maybe it's infantilizing. And here they are in the outside world kind of trying to figure out whether any of those behaviors or those modes of behaviors or those kind of lessons that they learned when they were um incarcerated can now help them function outside and it's like in that moment you see they can get respite from some of those silly skills as it were or sort of games that they might have picked up in prison but it's it's like depressingly temporary and actually the sort of real world is just around the corner to greet them um so I, th- I think I, but I'm saying all that and the play just does it br- brilliantly, physically, non-verbally, you know what I mean? So I, yeah, I remember that bit too. Yeah, it's really visceral. And I, I think like, um, yeah, and I think you're exactly right. It's just over a bit, just over halfway through Is it right? where yeah. that happens. And, and yeah. they, the, there's a sort of extended sequence of them playing and talking and listening to music and drinking and boozing. And- oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but those questions arise a time time again play don't they about like what is freedom like what does that actually mean yeah yeah um and what is acceptance and what is self-acceptance and what is societal acceptance and uh, yeah exactly as you're saying like you couldn't articulate better playing around and being silly to vomiting like it's mm. so like mm. the most kind of gutsy fundamental kind of view of that of like um freedom costs you know it like mm. hurts and abandon hurts and i just it's think so yeah, cool. exactly. I, mean, I, I sort of i don't want to overanalyze it but like i went through a i like 
sometimes before I'm putting my daughter to bed, like she's obviously very hyper. It's like the end of the day and she does or doesn't want to go to bed. And and I'm pretty silly. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm silly. And so I will like, if she wants to be thrown around, I'll throw her around. And if she wants to be spun around, I'll spin her around. And there was like a phase where, um, I would. I was doing this at bedtime. I say a phase. I should stress like a couple of nights. I learnt my lesson quickly. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, where she obviously she puked because it's not long after her dinner, and I'm, and I'm swinging her around, um, and 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 it and and it was like, ah, oh, that's so mean of the body. But it's like, and obviously the first time it happened, it was quite upsetting for her. And anyway, there's there's something of that in that scene, which is maybe also why it's interesting because it's like parent and child. And there's a bit of a dynamic between Marie and Lorraine, like who's the parent and who's the child. And the, I think the play from memory, again, sort of wrestles with that a bit. Like, um, And obviously there's lots of kind of stuff about children in there. Like Lorraine is trying to meet back up again with her son. I hope I'm getting that right. Yeah, and, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously that line about I want my mum, you know, it's like. But also um, it, it's about that change, isn't it? Because Lorraine very much felt like the mother in inside. Yeah, right, right, and right. And yeah. now she, it feels like she's the child. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, yeah. that is just another moment of the playwright not telling us that, but just showing us that. Sure, yeah. And yeah. allowing us to experiencing it, which is again yeah. an incredibly elegant, elegant uh, bit yeah. of writing. Yeah, yeah. And so interesting that, um, I mean, it, it's like an incredibly political play in some ways and completely not a political play in other ways. Yeah. Like, I feel like, again, it's political in the absolute best way, um, which is it's a political act, I think, to put those two women and their experiences on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but the play isn't interested in the politics. It's interested in the humanity of it. Um, and then how that humanity will translate into politics is kind of up to the audience. Um well, it's a bit like it, it. It's sort of I don't know what the it, it. It's not party political. You know what I mean? Like it's yes. It's 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 not a play where it's politics. The politics of the author rather are um, part of the purpose of the endeavor, um, but it's political in that it. I guess small p. It makes you experience the existence of two people who, at least in my case. I may not ordinarily um, interact with um, and it makes me understand them. It neither sort of condones or condemns or simplifies or anything. Um, And so, yeah, it's like, I suppose it it makes me feel it rather than tell me it, which I guess crudely, I would say a certain kind of political play is, is telling me something is, 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 is sort of telling me how I should feel about something. And I guess the, the sort of beauty of Chloe is that it makes me feel the thing that I guess she wants to communicate maybe um, rather than telling me it in any way. Um, so the experience is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's visceral, it's, it's totally nonverbal, you know. Um, and um, talk to me if you were going to do it today, um, who, who would be your, do you have a, who would be your dream cast? You could cast anyone in these two roles. Obviously, Uh, with the exception of the originals because they were obviously in both sets obviously kind of outstanding um and the 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 power of those productions is sort of unarguable but who would you like to see today in those two roles if it could be anybody yeah i honest to god don't know because i i like a testament to i would say this wouldn't i but testament to how great it is i feel like the thing can live on it can transcend whoever's in that role um, obviously be elevated by whoever's in that role but you can recast it and recast it and recast it and it and it's and the, and the, the the sort of play itself will still stand up anyway i've dodged that question but yeah no, that's a good answer that's a very good answer i is think it? that's very good yeah of course it is yeah that for, for you although the production elevates and the actors elevate uh, at the heart of it this is this is about um what that writer has achieved mm. Okay, great. Yeah, that's my. I'll have that answer, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, amazing. And um, another thing I've been asking people is um, what have been their guilty pleasures? And guilty really is the wrong word because um, I wear mine loud and proud. But um, you know, what have been what have been those things that have been making you happy? Um, what have you been watching? What have you been listening to? What have you been reading? 
um, what, what could what could anyone listening be doing to to spread a little bit of joy at the moment? I was watching. A, we were watching a lot of ER. Um, yes. But, yeah. You talked to me about this before. You, yeah. you, you and your your wife sort of went yeah. back and watched the whole yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. We've been watching it right from the very start. That predates the lockdown, so I can't claim that was brought on by it <laughs> going on. Um, and if anything, actually, the sort of intensity of the medical stuff started to feel a bit too intense at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah, we had got to a bit of a Mark Green. I mean, again, I can go pretty niche. Had a uh, <laughs> brain tumor. Here's something fucking interesting. It's not, I mean, it's like, so I watched the R obviously when it was originally broadcast and in it, Mark Green has a glioblastoma multiform, which is the same tumor the character has in Constellations. And I would be amazed oh. if I hadn't somewhere in me was that was that episode, which is like the episode where he dies. Uh, as, spoiler you know, alert. Yes, but massive spoiler. Um, <laughs> uh, really, really stuck with me. Um, and it's, it's surprising uh, that I uh, that it was about grief again. It's the thing that, uh, yeah. that stuck with you out of all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I think ER, particularly those early seasons, really holds up. The sort of aesthetic feels very contemporary, even though obviously you've got lots of outdated elements in it. Uh, uh, sort of literally design elements, you know, computers and so on that look 20 years old. But the sort of, um, yeah, the yeah, I think I mean aesthetic, like the whole kind of look and shape and style and feel of the show feels still feels really modern, I think. Um, and George Clooney is just so handsome. What more, <laughs> what more do you need in lockdown, frankly? Yeah, uh, God, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Nick, I mean, that's it, man. Thank you so much. Like, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Um, so amazing to hear you talk so beautifully and eloquently about this wide night and about Chloe's writing um, and just being so open about your own process and, um, you know, all the things that you go through with it. So thank you so much for being on. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. A total pleasure. Uh, and I'll speak to you soon. The amazing Nick Payne there. What a brilliant dude and so fascinating to hear him talk about such a brilliant and beautiful play. If you haven't read This Wide Night yet, I highly recommend getting yourself a copy. It was also brilliant to hear Nick talk so openly about the trials and tribulations of a writing career. It must feel like swimming upstream sometimes, but the challenge definitely seems worth it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you again for supporting the Old Vic and the Sherman in these tough times. If you fancied making a donation to our theatres, no matter how big or small, it would be hugely appreciated. And you can do that at either the Sherman Theatre or Old Vic websites. Thank you again. Until next time, go gently and go safely. The Old Vic would like to thank principal partner Royal Bank of Canada and the T.S. Elliott Estate for their support. Sherman Theatre would like to thank the Arts Council Wales and everybody who supported us through this difficult time.